It's time for a resurrection edition of Fighting for the Faith. Ah, he is risen. I can think of no better news that we Christians should be proclaiming right now. Uh, But I feel like I'm uh, joining a shrinking minority there. Details today as the program develops. Feels good to be good. Well, have my health back. All right. Thanks for tuning in to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro, and I'm your servant in Jesus Christ, dishing up a daily dose of biblical discernment. Not a very popular thing to do nowadays. Could get you shot at. <laughs> By friendly fire and hostile fire. It, it's, it's all good. It's just a badge of honor. I'm glad to be back. I was uh, under the weather at the tail end of last week. Not quite 100%. You know the thing that really is um, uh, inconvenient about being ill is that the emails pile up. The work doesn't stop, but your body has to stop you from doing it. So you, you get back to work. It's like you, you, when you go on vacation... You know what I'm talking about here? Those of you who live and die by email, uh, you go on vacation. You think, you know, I'm, I'm going to go take a vacation. I'm going to go enjoy myself down in a tropical region, cruise around the Caribbean, or uh, head down to South, uh, South America to some exotic island and drink those adult beverages with the little umbrellas in them. And you think that you're really enjoying life. And if you're really, really fortunate, you don't even have to take your laptop or anything with you. And then you get home. <laughs> you get you, your, your first day at work, you, the blinking light on the phone, it lets you know, know that you have voicemails. And you look at the number on it, it says 152. And you're, you're going, <laughs> and then you look at the email, you, you, you open up your entourage program or, or your, what is it you, you folks use on the Windows? I, I'm a Mac guy. Anyway, you open up your email program and it, it just, the list keeps growing and growing and growing and growing and growing and growing. And you're sitting there going, yeah. And all of those wonderful, fond memories that you had of bathing in perfectly clear blue water that, that was 80 degrees with the slight tropical breeze and, and, and all that just vanishes. <laughs> the only difference is when you're sick, you don't, have the, um, you don't have that extra bonus of the fond memories of being in a tropical region. So uh, glad to be back. I had a really nasty flu at the end of last week. Oh boy! All right, we got a good program lined up today. Uh, first of all, want to tell you uh, those of my listeners who are in the Seattle area, there is a uh, there's definitely a conference that you definitely want to be attending if you can. The name of it is the Emmaus Conference, and uh, it is on Friday afternoon, April seventeenth. It begins at three in the afternoon and runs into uh, runs into the evening. And their special lecturer is Dr. Arthur Just. And um, you, you just I want to encourage anybody who's living in and around Seattle, this is worth going to. Um, if, if you just want to go to the lectures, uh, it's only 15 bucks. If you want to stay for dinner, it's 50, it's fifty dollars. And if you want to find out more about it, go to EmmausConference.com, EmmausConference.com. It's definitely something you all want to to look into. It definitely would be worth it. So I just wanted to uh, 
uh, you know, tip you guys off to that. So um, should be very interesting. Uh, and, and all the details are on online at emmausconference.com. All right, today we're going to be doing. We're going to look at some news stories um, on what would Jesus tweet. Apparently, this whole Twitter thing is really um, <laughs> quite the thing to be doing right now. Uh, we got some stories about Christian persecution we're going to share, and then we're going to look at uh, some fallout from what I basically am considering to be the most pagan Easter I've seen in the Christian church yet. Can hardly wait to see what happens next year. Um, yeah, uh, apparently we've got more things to uh, preach about. And as a result of the fallout from, uh, the, the, the now, the newly paganized form of Christianity and their worship, uh, you know, and their lack of uh, even recognizing, uh, Jesus's death and resurrection on Easter, we're going to kick off our first annual, uh, basically this is going to be a contest and that is we're, the contest is going to be the worst Easter sermon of 2009. Now, uh, I've been vetting out uh, some of these sermons here, looking for the the absolute worst stinkers. And so we're going to be playing those here on Fighting for the Faith. And uh, today we're going to start off with the sermon that was preached at a church that uh, started a sermon series called Real Time. And believe it or not, their Easter sermon was on uh, Slumdog Millionaire. Yeah, you know that movie, Slumdog Millionaire? I I had no idea it had all these Easter themes in it. Um, It probably doesn't. But uh, we'll be listening to that and reviewing that. That's going to be our first contestant. So all week long for the sermons, we're going to be playing different bad Easter sermons. And then at the end of the week, I'm going to put at fightingforthefaith.com, I'm going to put up a small widget whereby you can vote on the sermon that you have deemed to be the worst. And what we're going to do is uh, which whichever pastor gets this uh, notorious um, award, we're actually going to send him, um, <laughs> we're going to send him some pirate Christian radio uh stuff, tchotchkes, if you would, to encourage that pastor to uh, tune in so that uh, next year he uh, isn't in the running for the uh, sermon. So definitely going to be some interesting stuff. But before we get to the bad sermons today, we're actually going to play a good one because I got to give you something kind of as a benchmark. And when we talk about what's a good sermon and a bad sermon, especially if we're going to be talking about an Easter sermon, um, yeah, we, we need at least a benchmark good sermon to listen to. And, uh, from there you can kind of go off as to why these other ones are bad. So stay tuned, uh, grab, grab a, a beverage, pull up a chair, pull up a seat. If you're uh, driving into work, uh, don't worry about the traffic. It'll take care of itself. <laughs> so you know, now I've been on Twitter now for just a little over a week. And today I didn't Twitter much because uh, I was working my way through, uh, basically my task list and um man oh man uh, let me let's take a look at my task list real quick here for the day i had um 47 tasks on my to-do list and i got one two uh, three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven of them done which means i'm going to be busy tomorrow too (laughs) man Anyway, um, I, I got I I switched from. Uh, funny enough, I'm, I've been looking for a good program on the Macintosh that will help with um, 
you know, really doing tasks the way I use them. I switched from the Franklin Covey system as far as how I order my tasks to something called uh, getting things done. And there was a program out there that I had been using called Things, which I, I liked, but it was a little bit too much detail for me. I I, I believe I kind of go with the minimalist approaches, you know, to these things. And then I uh, I funny enough, I don't know why I'm telling you guys this, but I purchased a a, a to do list program from a a bundle package called Mac Heist, and the name of the program is called the Hit List. And this thing is just elegant, simple, smart, and easy to use. Any of you Mac users out there who are looking for a good program to manage your to-do list and you happen to be into that whole uh, getting things done method of uh, getting things done, uh, the Hit List is uh, definitely a program that you want to con- uh, consider. Let me find out about this. Uh, the name of the company that puts it out is called, uh, I think it's the Potion Factory. Um just look it up on on the internet go to google and hit um uh you know type in the hit list and uh and you know go go from there but yeah the name of the company is the potion factory that put, puts it out just wanted to pass that a uh, little bit of information along to you guys out there who are looking for ways of getting things done um anyway i've been on twitter now for a little over a week and uh you know i had no idea what i was getting into i'm i'm personally using it uh, not necessarily to blog the mundane things about my life because I don't find my life to be all that very interesting to be tweeting about, but uh, you know, been enjoying you know the uh, just really it's a good research tool. It's a great way of kind of broadcasting things that are going on uh, for Pirate Christian Radio and the news stories. By the way, if you if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can. My screen name there or my uh, it's pirate christian so it's uh, twitter.com forward slash pirate christian all one word pirate christian there and uh, you can follow me there and as i'm researching during the day stories that i find interesting uh, that may or may not make the cut for the program i will go ahead and throw links up there so if you want to get kind of a behind the scenes look as to some of the things that i think are interesting as i'm researching and preparing for the program uh, you can do so by following me on Twitter. I also uh, send a lot of that stuff up to my status up on Facebook also. So if you want to want me to become your friend on Facebook, you can send me a, f- a friend request. But apparently there was a church in New York uh, City um, in the Wall Street area that uh, decided they were going to use Twitter. Uh, yeah, let me read the story. From the Telegraph in the UK, funny enough, Telegraph in the UK did a far better way. I I like the way they handled the story better than some of the American papers. Um, Twitter, uh, what would Jesus tweet? In fact, you know what? This this calls for our vintage news update music, which is one of the things we do here at Fighting for the Fake. Because we're doing news. Here we go. Here we go. Uh, What would Jesus tweet? Jesus speaks in New York via Twitter. (laughs) Man. Okay, one of America's oldest churches has turned to the latest cyber technology to tell the story of the passion of Christ on Good Friday. Wall Street's uh, historic Trinity Church in the heart of New York's financial district has used the microblogging service Twitter to narrate the story of Jesus in bursts of 140 characters or less. Hi, hi, hi. Okay, uh, for several hours during the afternoon, the main characters tweeted the passion play. <laughs> you know, one of the towns not too far from uh, uh, from from where I live, it's it's north of here, about 15, 20 minutes. 
uh, they actually had a passion play. And, you know, it was a full-blown passion play. But the, this, who needs a passion play when you've got a Twitter account? Anyway, uh, so uh, they tweeted the passion play on the Episcopalian Church's website and sent out the ups- updates to registered users on their mobile uh, devices or via email. So um give you a flavor of what the, what was tweeted. Um you know, they they actually put in the different names of people like Pontius Pilate, Jesus Christ, Servant Girl. So you have Pontius Pilate saying, "What harm has this man done? What does the crowd why does the crowd cheer on his murder? I wash my hands of this. Uh, they can do what they want." And then Jesus twitters, "Father, forgive them for they know not what they do." Then the servant girl says, "This crowd is rough. Talk about talk of his blood on our hands. But if he really is the Messiah, God will rescue him." So. Uh, <laughs> the initiative is the church's latest effort to harness new technology to deliver the Christian message. It already has its own site on Facebook and has used Twitter feeds to update parishioners. Yeah, boy, talk about cutting edge there, you know. Uh, what are we trying to do at Trinity Wall Street is to communicate the story of Christ in as many ways as we can, said Linda Hannock, the church's vice president of communication and marketing. Uh, the church has been webcasting events, services, and concerts since the late 1980s. Uh, this was kind of the next evolution in communicating the gospel message, said Miss uh, Hannock. Uh, the church, which was founded in 1967, also offered visitors to its website the chance to follow the Stations of the Cross online. Yeah, so why travel to a church and do the Stations of the Cross, those of you who are into such things? Um, you can just do it via Twitter tweets. Oh, boy. I don't know what to make of that. It's, uh, you know, can you do the gospel in 140 characters or less? Oh, man. Anyway, while all of this stuff is going on, uh, real Christians are really facing real persecution in other parts of the world. And I thought we would uh, use this as a counterbalance to some of the insanity going on here in the United States. Uh, from the Telegraph in the UK, uh, Christians face a new persecution. Um, <clears throat> the subheadline reads, This Easter, Christians have a mountain to climb in an increasingly hostile environment. Yeah, tell me about it. <clears throat> Easter Sunday is the most confident and optimistic feast in the Christian calendar, and Christians presently need all the confidence that they can muster. The latest uh, European Union draft directive has alarmed the Church of England. With good cause, in the name of outlawing dimis- discrimination. So, <clears throat> apparently, the, uh, the European Union has a new anti-discrimination thing that they're, you know, they're potentially going to pass, and it would compel faith schools to admit believers and force churches to perform marriage so- ceremonies for same-sex couples, all in the name of outlawing discrimination. Wait a second, aren't they discriminating against churches? Never mind. Don't I shouldn't bother you guys with logic anymore because who needs that? Neither of these impositions is reasonable. What is being attempted under the guise of elimin- of eliminating discrimination is discrimination against Christians. Since legislators in Brussels must be well aware of this, it is disingenuous of them to pretend to be well-intentioned. The wider agenda is to remove anti-discrimination laws from the jurisdiction of Westminster to Brussels when public opinion favors a reverse process, uh, the repatriation uh, of authority to Britain. Uh, this country achieved religious har- uh, harmony with Catholic emancipation in 1829. Brussels, in contrast, 
is the heir of the bitterly anti-clerical politics of continental Europe, which is no part of the British tradition. Even Yet even uh, Westminster legislation has closed Catholic adoption agencies while a politically correct reign of terror is afflicting our workplaces with the latest victim, a charity worker who chatted casually with a colleague about his religious beliefs excluding same-sex marriage. Um, and uh, anyway, he lost his job. In fact, I have that story here. So, in the Europe, uh, there in, the, in Europe, uh, the uh, the EU is drafting a new directive against discrimination that would basically make it so that uh, churches uh, that had church schools had to admit unbelievers and uh, perform marriages for homosexual couples. <clears throat> and on the same note, charity workers suspended over religious debate with work colleague. This is again from the Telegraph in the UK, written by. Anderson Alderson, who is the chief reporter. Um, Charity worker David Booker has been suspended after a calm and friendly discussion about religion with a colleague. Yeah, what's the evil, terrible thing that David Booker did? Well, David Booker had the uh, audacity to actually have a conversation with a fellow worker and uh, religious information came up during it. And so Mr. Booker says that he was on the night shift with a female member of his staff at a hostile, a hostel, sorry, where they worked when they had a wide-ranging chat in which he voiced his opposition to same-sex marriage and to, and to homosexual clergy. Uh, apparently, um, it's no longer legal for you to uh, voice opinions uh, contrary to same-sex marriage or homosexual clergy. There in the UK, Mr. Booker, who vehemently denies being homophobic and who says he has homosexual friends, says that within 24 hours he was suspended from his 19,000 pound a year job as a hostile support worker. In a letter from the charity, Mr. Booker was informed that he had been suspended from his job on full pay for two weeks pending an investigation into claims of gross misconduct. It's not just misconduct, gross misconduct. How dare you say that you are against homosexual marriage and homosexual clergy while at work? Anyway, the letter added that he had been accused of breaking his code of conduct by promoting your religious views, which contained discriminatory comments regarding a person's sexual or- orientation. The action has been taken to safeguard both residents and staff at Southampton Street, uh, the hostel where he worked. So Mr. Booker has uh, worked for the Society of St. James in Southampton for nearly four years, and the charity looks after people who are homeless, uh, particularly those with mental health and drug-related problems. It employs 170 staff and has existed for 36 years. Mr. Booker works in a hostel for 26 vulnerable clients. He's a born-again Christian and said, I was working nights with a colleague of mine, and somehow we got onto the subject of Christianity. And then our discussion moved on to homosexuality in the church, and I can't remember if I was the instigator or if she was. But the conversation moved on to my views on homosexuality. I'm not a bigot. I'm not a homophobic. Well, actually, that's the thing is is that if you have any opinions contrary to these these state-legislated uh, politically correct opinion that is is that you have to be in favor of gay clergy and in favor of uh, homosexual marriage. Uh, basically, if you're against those things, you are automatically branded a bigot. Uh, join the club. Apparently, I'm one too. Um, anyways, he says at one point we were talking. I asked her if I was uh, if I was offending her or boring her, and she replied, "No, Dave, carry on." And after our discussion, she was friendly towards me. She made cups of tea. There was no problem at all, and Mr. Booker, 44, says that the, the next evening a colleague told him he had bad news and he was being suspended. 
So apparently, if you if, if, there, you folks, if you live in the UK, you better be careful. Don't say anything about your religious beliefs to anybody, nowhere, no how. Don't say anything about homosexuality being a sin, gay clergy being a an abomination before God, anything like that, because um, uh, you'll lose your job. Now, I say that in jest and kind of in a snarky way, but basically what it boils down to is, well, people in the United States are completely losing their minds and going pagan during, Chris, uh, during Easter. There are real Christians around the world who are really being persecuted for real. And they're losing their jobs and being basically held up for public ridicule and shame. Uh, This is very similar to the story that we heard regarding that nurse who nearly lost her job for offering to pray for a woman. Remember that? And at the time that the story came out, I said uh, that this isn't the end. You know, that even though she was able to keep her job, that it wasn't a victory because there's an agenda at play here. And again, this agenda has raised its head. And what's the agenda? We in the media want you Christians to shut up. We want you to stop talking about your religion and your religious beliefs, that we don't like them, we hate them, we want you to go away, and we're going to do things to legislate and undermine and whatever it takes to get you guys to toe the line. So much so in Great Britain, if you don't toe the line, you could lose your job. All right, moving along. Now, while real Christians around the world are really being persecuted for their faith, we in America are enjoying a new paganism in Christianity. Yes, sir. Um, This Easter, probably in all the years that I've been watching evangelicalism, the seeker-sensitive movement, and the purpose-driven movements, I've seen things drifting in this direction, but I've never seen anything like this. Uh, the stuff that we saw go on in the name of Christianity this Easter was outrageous. For instance, <clears throat> here we go, the resurrection. I don't know if you heard about this, but here, listen in. This is Pastor Brad. If you're tired of boring church services but still want to do something spiritual this Easter, I'd like to invite you to resurrection. Are you bored? Are you tired of boring church services that still want to do something spiritual this Easter? Come to Resurrection. What are they going to do at Resurrection? What did they did? Rock and roll tribute to Easter. Our live band will be covering songs from Queen, Guns N' Roses, U2, and more as a new generation explores the resurrection. Join us at the Bible Baptist. We're going to explore the resurrection in Queen, Guns N' Roses, and what? church on Sunday, April 12th at 11 a.m., dressed in the t-shirt of your favorite band, and celebrate Easter with the flock that likes to rock. Check out Resurrection.com for all the details. Resurrection, a rock and roll tribute to Easter. Yeah, so, I, folks, I don't know if you missed it. I mean, if you went to a church where they actually, you know, um, sang about Jesus rising from the dead, proclaimed Jesus is risen, you know, that spiritual stuff. I mean, you are just out of it. I mean, you should have gone to Resurrection, showed up in the the T-shirt of your favoritist band, and uh, you know, and explored the resurrection through the songs of. Um let me play that again. This is Pastor Brad. If you're tired of boring church services but still want to do something spiritual this Easter, I'd like to invite you to Resurrection, a rock and roll tribute to Easter. Our live band will be covering songs from Queen, Guns N' Roses, U2, and more as a new generation. Yeah. Okay. That. 
Yeah, apparently they got quite a bit of play in their local area. This is from uh, 93.3 WMMR. Spent some time, and he's very proud of this. And uh, he, he wants me to play this because it's, uh, the sponsor is our the Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Brad and their resurrection. Pretty good, isn't it? It's, you know, that song is not the first song that comes to my mind when I think about Easter. How, how about you? It's good, but I know the I know the hymn that you're referencing. Yes, a lot of people may not know that, uh, but I like it. So anyhow, uh, Pastor Brad and Bible Baptist Church. Pastor Brad's very cool. Listen to the show. Resurrection, a rock and roll tribute to Easter. Don't be bored in church this Easter Sunday. Come to Resurrection, yeah. and afterwards go to Sunday morning. Yeah, man, Resur- we don't want no Jesus. We don't need any of that resurrection stuff. That's just, oh, that's gross. We want Guns and Roses. We want Metallica. We Runch. And then <laughs> hang with the flock that rocks okay. and go to Resurrection.com for details. Why? Okay, where is this? Do you know? I don't know where the church is. No, I'm I'm sorry, but you can go to resurrection.com. Okay, I'm going to. I'd be get all the details. He's a cool guy. I mean, he, he he's a big yeah. fan of the show. It's a rock. If he thinks we're savable, then maybe he can save you. Yeah. Easter Thanks. celebration. So <laughs> get to it now. And they bring us the bizarre file. Yeah, how funny that the uh, local FM radio station put them into the bizarre file because. Uh, that's what it is. It's bizarre, but it's not the most bizarre. Um, I told you a couple of weeks ago that New Spring Church in uh, Anderson, South Carolina, uh, uh, pastored by uh, Perry Noble, they, uh, well, um, how, do, how do I put this in, in, well, they had a very different opening hymn. Uh, wait a second, it wasn't a hymn. A very different opening praise song. No, it wasn't a praise song either. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, they had a very interesting opening, uh, number, um, for their, um, Easter service. Um, if you're not familiar with that, that rousing Christian anthem, um, Highway to Hell by, um, yeah, ACDC. Um, we actually have, uh, audio from a video that, uh, New Spring Church, very proudly and very prominently put on their YouTube account. They they really wanted everyone to know that that's the song that they sung for their opening. And in case you're wondering, you know, just want to let remind you, you know, see if you can sing along to these lyrics. You know how you we've, you go to these contemporary services; they don't have hymns, they don't have hymn books. Um, they instead they they project the lyrics you know and expect you to sing along. So see if you could sing along to these lyrics. Let me read them for you. Uh, living easy, living free, season ticket on a one way ride. Asking nothing, leave me be. Taking everything in my stride. Don't need reason, don't need rhyme. Ain't nothing I would rather do. Going down party time. Uh, my friends are gonna be there too. Um, I'm on a high highway to hell. Yeah, that's the uh, the chorus for this particular um praise song. 
Yeah, let me. Here's the next. Uh, no stop signs. Uh, speed limit. Nothing's. Nobody's gonna slow me down like a wheel gonna spin it. Nobody's gonna mess me around. Hey Satan, paid my dues. Um, play. Uh, paid my dues. Playing in a rock and a rock and band. Hey Mama, look at me. I'm on my way to the promised land. I'm on the highway to hell. Don't stop me. I'm going. Down all the way down. I'm on the highway to hell. Those are the lyrics, and uh, here is uh, New Spring Church's praise band opening up their Easter services with "Highway to Hell." Did I mention that this was this is the actual performance of this praise song uh, for the opening song for Easter 2009 in a church? Can't you just feel the spirit descending like a dove upon you and feel the peace of the Lord? He is risen. He is risen indeed. actually hearing a Christian church's praise band we're going to take our first break folks if you want to email me you can at uh, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. We'll be right back. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> there, Pirate Christian Radio listener. Have you visited the Pirate Christian Radio store yet? This is a place where you can stock up on Pirate Christian Radio gear. Don't be a stowaway on our ship. You can let your friends and neighbors know that you are a proud member of our crew by buying one of our Pirate Christian Radio t-shirts or coffee mugs. 
The best part is that all the proceeds help to keep our ship afloat so that we can take people's false doctrine and share the treasure of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Log on to piratechristianradio.com, click on the store link from our homepage, and do it today. You'll be glad that you did. Listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseboro, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ. I, I, I'm almost speechless. I, Lane Chaplin, who uh, sat in uh, back in was it all the way back in October or November? I forget when he came in. He sat in with us the fall of last year, and uh, we we reviewed the Kung Fu Panda sermon with him. He sent me the link to the YouTube video. From New Spring, and I, the first time I watched that, I absolutely got this this sick feeling in my gut. I mean, I could, I grew up when people when ACDC was doing this. I had friends who were listening to ACDC who were trying to convince me they were the best band in the whole world, and that I needed to listen to ACDC. And even before Christian music was a big thing, I couldn't listen to ACDC or sing along in good conscience because I didn't want to go to hell. And singing about hell and the devil were just not the types of things that I just sit there and said, yeah, man, rock on. I'm on a... <sighs> so... And then later, you know, attending churches where these types of songs were um, called the music of the devil. I mean, I was told that if I listened to ACDC, I was going to hell and that I had to repent and sell all, anything that was pagan and, and, and get only Christian music. And nowadays, I mean, they just they in fact, they open up Easter Sunday with ACDC. Has the whole world just taken stupid pills? I mean, this is outrageous. Anyway, I haven't reviewed the sermon yet. I've heard from insiders, uh, well, he at least preached the gospel. That makes it okay for him to sing Highway to Hell because he was making a point. (sighs) Man, I I don't need ACDC to help me in preaching the gospel. All right, um, we're... (laughs) Early, we're we're going to we're going to do a little head-to-head sermon thing here. Um, we're going to put a Pastor Swirla uh, Easter sermon up against uh, one of these purpose-driven guys, and the purpose-driven sermon review will actually be a sermon whereby uh, it will become one of our five contestants for the worst sermon of two thousand and nine. Uh, you know, a new prestigious award that we're going to be handing out it, it, with Fighting for the Faith in conjunction with the Museum of Idolatry. And so, uh, but uh, this first sermon, we have to have a benchmark. If we're going to say a sermon's bad, especially an Easter sermon, we need to hear what a good one looks, at least sounds like, so we have some kind of a benchmark. We'll say, okay, that's a good Easter sermon. And then we can say, okay, now what's a bad one look like, well, or sound like? So 
What I'm going to do right now is we're going to play a 19-minute-long sermon from Pastor Bill Swirla of Holy Trinity Lutheran Church in Hacienda Heights. Uh, this is an Easter sermon, not this year. I think it was either last year or the year before. It, regardless, it doesn't matter. You pick any sermon. In fact, the funny thing is you pick any sermon any Sunday of the year, and Pastor Swirl is preaching about Christ. So one of our criteria for determining whether or not a sermon is a good sermon or a bad sermon is who is the person preaching about? You know, or the pastor preaching about. In this case, it, it, Pastor Swirla is a pastor. Some of the guys we listen to, I don't think they would even qualify as pastors. But who are they preaching about? Are they preaching about you? Or are they preaching about Christ? Now, this particular offense really sticks out like a sore thumb on Easter. Because out of any of the Christian holidays, and what do we got, two of them? Christmas and Easter? Those are the big holidays, right? Um Folks, Easter is about Jesus and what he did. And if your pastor can't figure that out, you need to give him a map and show him Jesus is in the center. This is what Christianity is about. And on Easter in particular, we preach about him and what he's done. Anyway, here's a good sermon. So you got at least this is our benchmark good sermon. And then we'll dive into the sermon reviews. Oh, boy. So here's, here's Pastor Bill Swirler. In the name of Jesus. Amen. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ will all be made alive. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Alleluia. He's made it through. His it is finished from the cross holds even over and against death and the grave. Nothing can hold crucified Jesus down. The grave has lost its grip. Mary Magdalene went to the grave very early in the morning. It was Sunday. The first day of a new work week, there was work to be done. A hasty burial needed to be finished. It was still dark. In the dim light, she saw that the stone door had been rolled aside, that the grave was open. She was troubled. She assumes the logical worst. Someone had removed the body of Jesus. That was the reasonable thing to think. Dead men don't rise. Someone must have moved the body. Someone. They've taken the Lord from the tomb, and we don't know where they have laid him. Jesus is missing. Peter and John... All right, real quick. Notice he's preaching from a Bible text. Uh, We would call this, in some circles, expository Bible preaching. You know, you start with a Bible passage, tell us what it means, help us to better understand it, and most importantly, help us to see Jesus in the cross and the gospel in it. (sighs) Race to the tomb. They run as fast as they can. John is faster, but Peter is a bit braver. 
John stoops down to have a peek inside. Peter rushes headlong into the tomb. Good old Peter, always the first at everything. And he sees the burial cloths lying where Jesus' body had been laid out on the stone shelf. They were all folded up neatly. The head covering kept separately, folded up. Everything is tidy, neat, in order. It's as though Jesus had made his bed after he got up in the morning. If someone moved the body, then they forgot to take the burial cloths with them. And then who would fold them up so neatly and lay them in that place? John looks in and he sees the same thing. He saw and he believed. It takes two witnesses to establish the truth. John and Peter are those two witnesses. A realization begins to dawn. Jesus is risen. The body is risen. The grave has lost its grip. Peter and John saw the evidence, but they did not yet see Jesus. That gift was given uniquely to Mary Magdalene. She stood outside the grave sobbing. What else do you do at a cemetery but sob? Your best friend, your teacher, dies a tragic death and now his body is missing. Tears flow. She looks into the tomb and she sees two shining angels in white sitting on the stone shelf where Jesus' body had been laid out, one sitting at the head, the other at the foot. Recall in the Old Testament the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies and the two angels, the two angels that faced each other across the Ark. The same image is pictured here. John wants you to see that. Jesus has made the grave a holy of holies, a most holy place. That is awesome. That, great. Just, see, it's this kind of preaching that makes you go, wow, God is amazing. Jesus is amazing. Not rock resurrection or anything else. This doesn't even compare. This is in a completely different league than that other stuff. Mary looks over her shoulder and she sees the shadow of a man outside. Must be the gardener. Does he know where Jesus is? Did he take the body? She asks him. She takes it personally this time. They've taken my Lord and I don't know where they've laid him. And he looks at her and he says her name. Mary. Miriam. That voice that sound of her name, she recognizes it. My sheep hear my voice, Jesus says, and they know me, and they come to me. Sheep know the voice of their shepherd. And she throws herself at his feet, and she grabs onto his ankles. She won't let him go. She's lost him once. She ain't losing him again. Rabboni, she says, my teacher... 
Weeping remains for a night, the psalmist said, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Jesus turns her tears of grief and sadness and fear into joy and gladness. The graveyard, it's a happy place, a place of celebration. She had her Jesus back, and she's never going to let him go again. But Jesus said, there's no need to keep on holding me. I'm not going anywhere yet. I've not ascended to the Father. You go and tell my brothers what you've seen and heard. They needed to be told. And he gives that singular holy task to Mary, Mary Magdalene. This poor woman with such a miserable wreck of a life, whom Jesus had rescued from the grip of demons, he tells her to tell them the good news. I have seen the Lord. Those are the plain and sober facts of Easter. An empty tomb, folded burial cloths, a head covering, also folded, two angels, a risen Jesus you can grab hold of. Not a vision, a ghost, an illusion, a dream, a fond wish, a body, the risen body of Jesus. Next week we'll discover he still has the marks of his crucifixion. It's the real thing. There are the eyewitnesses, John, Peter, Mary Magdalene. Soon the other disciples, by the end of the month, over 500 eyewitnesses, people who had nothing to gain and everything to lose by making this story up. All with the same remarkable message. Jesus, who was crucified, is risen from the dead. They had everything to lose for saying this. The grave has lost its grip. First century Greeks did not believe in resurrected bodies. Immortal souls, no problem. No problem at all. Float around without a body. That's salvation. But not risen bodies. None of that. Spiritual resurrections were fine. Cognitive resurrections, they live on in our hearts. They live on in our memories. They live on in the deeds that they did. But not risen bodies. Not bodies that leave tombs empty and burial cloths folded. Not that sort of thing. And St. Paul is blunt with the Greek Christians of Corinth. If Christ has not been raised, he says, then your faith is useless. It's empty. It's futile. And you remain in your sins. If Christ isn't raised, then there is a body of Jesus buried somewhere out there in Judean soil. Maybe some bones in a box, like the bones box of James, with Jesus' name on it. Wouldn't National Geographic love to get a hold of that one? If they ever do, by the way, remember this, Jesus is about as common a name as Bob. 
the one we're talking about is the one with the wounds, the one whose body is risen from the dead. If Christ isn't raised, then that chapter from John that you just heard in two languages is a myth, a pious legend, a fraud. If Christ isn't raised, then in all due sincerity, my dear friends, you need to find another religion, and you need to do it soon, because this one is a fake. Never mind all the fringe benefits of being a Christian, how it brings you peace of mind. I have yet to experience peace of mind in 49 years of being a Christian. Well, Pastor Swirler, maybe you just need to apply Rick Warren's five easy stress-busting uh, principles. Seems out of place, though, doesn't it? He's preaching about Christ. And five easy stress-busting principles it doesn't even fit in this. How it brings joy, joy, joy to your heart. Oh, yes, along with sorrow and grief at the same time. Or how it helps you through life's problems. My experience is it creates more problems than it solves in life. If Christ isn't raised, those things do not matter in the long run. Paul says, if our hope in Christ is only for this life, this breathing life of ours now, then we are to be pitied more than all men. We're a pitiful lot. You may have seen the study recently where they took prayer into the laboratory. See that? You know, had people pray for others or not. Double-blind study. It's funny, scientists don't like when we put religion into the science classroom, but they don't seem to mind taking prayer and putting it in the laboratory to test it out, see if it works. And so they tried. What they found is prayer makes no difference. <laughs> people who don't get prayed for get well or not at the same rate, more or less, as people who do get prayed for, which I think is kind of neat. Because there are lots of people in the world who aren't prayed for. And I hope that God looks after them too. I'm also not surprised God has an answer to prayer of mine in the way I've prayed it in 49 years. If in this life our hope is in Christ, if that's all it is, a vending machine in heaven, please give me what I want when I want it. In the name of Jesus, amen. Paul says we are the most pitiful bunch of religious men and women in the world. A bunch of dupes is what we are. If Christ isn't raised, you can't have Jesus the teacher, Jesus the great moral example, Jesus the prophet, Jesus the nice guy who did nice things for people without Jesus hanging dead on a cross and rising bodily from the dead. If Jesus is not risen from the dead, then the Christian faith is not one of the noble religions in the world. It's a big fat lie. And it's not worth wasting your Sundays over, let alone this Sunday, let alone your life. If Christ isn't raised, you may as well play soccer on Sunday. <laughs> or read the newspaper. 
or work in the house or go to the beach or go to the desert or get on with your lives as best you can. Eat, drink, be happy, be nice, be safe, live fast, live hard, because tomorrow you die and that's the end of it. That's the gospel if Christ is not raised from the dead. If Christ isn't raised, you can have chocolate Easter bunnies and bunny ears and baskets full of colored eggs and bouquets of springtime flowers, and that's all the Easter there's going to be for you. A celebration of spring. If Christ isn't raised, you can have your Easter suppers without a Lord's Supper. You can feast on meats and fine wines, but it won't be the feast that Isaiah the prophet envisioned because the shroud of death hangs over everything. If Christ isn't raised, you are still in your sins, and that's the worst of it. That awful cross on Good Friday accomplished nothing. There is no atonement. It's up to you to balance the scales, to fix things, to balance your good karma and your bad karma. You have to pull it off for yourself. You have to balance the books, and you better not waste any time. You better get started right now because you don't know how much time you have. If Christ isn't raised from the dead, you are imprisoned in an Adamic body that's going straight to hell. In Adam all die, and you're no exception. If Christ isn't raised, then it's only a matter of time before death punches your time clock and you receive the wages of your sin. The cancer cell, the stroke, the blown little blood vessel in your head, the stray bullet, even if you spent your entire life doing what Jesus would have you do, it's all for nothing if Christ is not raised from the dead. But here it is, straight up. Christ is risen from the dead. The body is risen. The tomb is empty. That is the abiding joy of this day. The crucified body is alive. It's a witness fact of history. Mary, John, Peter, the Twelve, James, all the apostles, 500 all say in one voice, He is risen from the dead. We touched Him, we saw Him, we ate with Him, we heard His voice. He is risen. The world seems to check in with the church about twice a year, have you noticed? At Christmas and at Easter? That's when you're most likely to see the books and the TV specials that question the historic facts of the gospel. Maybe this is intentional, because when you strip away everything else, when you strip away all the ceremonies and everything else that goes with Christianity, you're left with these two things. One, Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God in human flesh, born of a virgin. And two, he was crucified and raised from the dead on the third day. Those are the two big things. No other Jesus than the one who fully shares your humanity can bear your sins. No other Jesus than the one whose ankles Mary grabbed onto and held so tightly on that first day can hold on to you and save you in your death. 
As in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. No one will sleep on that Easter Sunday when Jesus appears. No one. Those who trust in Jesus and his completed work will rise to eternal life. What a great thing. Those who refuse to trust him and reject what he has won for them will rise to eternal condemnation. What a sad thing. But all rise, all rise. Every single son and daughter of Adam and Eve will rise in the power of that resurrection because the grave has lost its grip. O death, where is thy victory? O grave, where is thy sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin to kill is the law. The law that kills us each and every moment of our lives because we break it each and every moment of our lives. It's killing us and driving us to the grave. But listen, thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is risen. Death is undone. Christ is risen. His death is death's demise. Christ is risen. Your sins are washed away. Christ is risen. The devil's cower in fear. Christ is risen. A new creation has dawned. The old is gone. The new has come. Christ is risen. Adam is lifted up from the dust of his death. Christ is risen, and in him you live. The feast is ready, ready for you, dear baptized believers. The finest of foods, the best of wines. And I'm not talking about what's going on in the parish hall later, or in your homes later. But I'm talking about here. Where the Lord has his mountain, here where the bread is the body of Christ given into death for you, here where the wine is his blood shed for your life, your forgiveness, your salvation, death is swallowed up in victory. Surely this is our God, we trusted in him, and he saved us. This is the Lord, we trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Christ is risen, the grave has lost its grip. In the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, that was our good sermon. That was our benchmark sermon. Notice, law used in such a way to make you understand that you are a sinner. I mean, even to the point of talking eschatologically about heaven and hell. Gospel, Christ dies for your sins. He's raised victorious from the grave. The whole sermon was about Jesus. As it should be. Now... When we return from the break, we're going to be listening to contestant number one in this year's contest for the worst Easter sermon of 2009. So you definitely want to stay tuned. We've, uh, <laughs> it's going to, I guarantee it's going to be interesting. So stick around. Uh, we'll be right back. And if you'd like to email me, you can talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. That's talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can uh, look me up on Facebook, ask me my friend, I will reciprocate. And you can follow me on Twitter. Pirate Christian is the name there at Twitter. 
We'll be right back. If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, frenzy, cunning, photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. On the first day of the week, God said, Let there be light, and there was light. On the first day of the week, the Lamb who was slain came back to life. On the first day of the week, we come together to break bread. You are invited to the 2009 edition of the Emmaus Conference, a lecture series held each Easter week. This year's Emmaus Conference will be held April 17th and 18th at Parkland Lutheran Church, Tacoma, Washington. Our featured speaker will be the Reverend Dr. Art Just, and he will give a presentation entitled, On the First Day of the Week. Reactions will be given by Professor James Tiefel and Professor Mark DeGarmo. The conference begins at 3 p.m. on Friday, April 17th. For more information, including online registration, please point your browser to EmmausConference.com or call Parkland Lutheran Church at 253-537-5492. We live in a time when there are full-out attacks against the gospel and sound biblical doctrine. One particular threat that you need to know how to protect yourself from is the attack against the doctrine of the penal substitutionary atonement. J.I. Packer called this doctrine the heart of the gospel, and this doctrine is now being openly attacked by liberals and emergents alike. This is why Pirate Christian Radio is featuring the book Pierced for Our Transgressions, Rediscovering the Glory of Penal Substitution. This book lays out the biblical underpinnings of this non-negotiable doctrine as well as its rich historical pedigree. After reading this book, you'll have a deep biblical understanding of what Christ accomplished for you on the cross as well as possess a sound biblical and historical defense against those who are attacking this important doctrine. Pierce for Our Transgressions is available at piratechristianradio.com and is only $25 plus $4 shipping and handling and all proceeds help to support Pirate Christian Radio. So log on to piratechristianradio.com and order your copy today. All right, we're back. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. 
And I would like to remind you that Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio, which means that your financial support of this program is vital for us in order to pay our bills and continue to bring this radio outreach to you. You can support us a couple of ways. You can log on to fightingforthefaith.com and click on the Donate button. Or if you like to do it the more traditional way, you can uh, make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send it to Post Office Box 508, uh, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, we are uh, uh, contestant. We are now getting ready for our con- contest. First time ever, first annual worst sermon series, uh, worst sermon of the year. And uh, we, we've got five contestants that we're going to be uh, playing sermons from this week. Uh, the first is from North Point Church, and um, they are in Springfield, Missouri. They sent out a postcard flyer called Experience Easter in 3D. You can see their uh, Easter postcard at uh, littleleaven.com at the Museum of Idolatry. Uh, the pastor there is a gentleman by the name of uh, Tommy Sparger, and he's the founding pastor of North Point. And apparently he has this thing for Star Trek because North Point's logo looks just like something Mr. Spock would wear. And uh, their sermon series, um, well, they kicked off a brand new sermon series on Easter uh, called Real Time. And uh, their sermon for Easter is on the movie Slumdog Millionaire. That's right, Slumdog Millionaire, because it... it um, well, I have no idea what it has to do with Jesus and his resurrection. Well, let's see if uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is even mentioned. This is, I, 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 I'll probably stop and remind you several times to the sermon. This is North Point Church's Easter sermon. We're starting this series today, and it's called Real Time, uh, God at the Movies. And uh, you do not want to miss next week, because next week is The Dark Knight and The Joker. And uh, now, now, just to admit it, some of you, your little sick selves, uh, how many of you really liked The Joker? I mean, a little evil son of a gun, but you liked him, and okay. Now, Pastor, let me help you out here. It's Easter Sunday, and uh, one of the things we like to do as Christians is get excited about the fact that Jesus Christ has raised from the dead. Uh, a lot of pastors might just passing. I mean, if they're not going to preach about them, they just might want to you know, give a little nod and you know, talk about the fact that Jesus is raised from the dead. Um, you know, this, you know, in our churches, you know, we say things like he is risen. He's risen indeed. Instead of talking about how these sick people who like the Joker, um, cause Easter's not about the dark night or the Joker. And why are you preaching about next Sunday's sermon anyways? Um, it's kind uh, of, Apparently, uh, Batman is more important than Jesus because he's getting top billing for this sermon on Slumdog Millionaire, which was preached on Easter Sunday, 2009. You be here next week because it's going to just rock. But today, we start with the movie Slumdog Millionaire. And uh, this is the story of this young man by the name of Jamal. And he's this 18-year-old orphan from the slums of Mumbai. And uh, it kind of centers around... Uh, what passage of scripture is this from again? Did I mention the fact that this was preached on Easter Sunday? This moment where he's like one question away from winning 20 million rupees on India's Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Now, here's 
the thing about the movie, and it's just really interesting, uh, because even though he's poverty-stricken, he just doesn't care about the money at all. Here is the one thing that he cares about. He cares about getting the attention of the love of his life. And he gets picked for this show and he volunteers to go on the show just so that he can get her attention. And she's the love of his life and her name is Latika. And he pursues her from his youth. Now, here's the connection. On this Easter Sunday, on this Easter, I mean, here's what this whole thing reminds, reminds me of. Jamal chasing Latika and Slumdog Millionaire. It reminds me of Christ pursuing his love. Oh, okay, here Jesus has made an appearance. Okay, Christ pursuing his love. It's just like the movie Slumdog Millionaire. Well, who is his love? Believe it or not, it's you. It's me. It's us. Yeah. All right, this sounds gospel-ish. Let's see if he actually gets to the real gospel. Yeah, but Tommy, I've done a lot. You know, I'm here to make Grandma happy today. I'm surprised I haven't turned into a pillar of salt since I stepped into this place. But you know what? It, it is you. And uh, I have spent most of my life trying to figure God out and, and determine, you know, what, what does he care about and who is he and what does he love and what does he want with me and, and, and how do I please him and, and those kinds of things. And, and I found that the key to understanding kind of his mind and where he's coming from, it actually comes from this very well-known verse in the Bible, and it's John 3.16. And, and that's kind of the key to knowing, like, what he's all about. Now, now for me, and let me just give you a little bit of background, uh, my whole life I've really loved football, and I like to watch football, like to play it, but wasn't the best, but I could sure watch it. Uh, and even when I was a little bitty kid, I would watch on Sunday like two games in a row of the NFL and just watch six hours of it. And uh, back in the early 80s, before I became a Christian, uh, they used to have this bizarre character in the stands. And this person would be like at every stadium, at every game, and sometimes there'd be two of them. But they'd always be like in the end zone when there's an extra point or there's a field goal. But I called him Rainbow Wig Guy and uh, John 316 Guy. And he always looked like this. Uh, the pastor has now donned a uh, rainbow clown wig. And, um, and he always was carrying around this sign. Do you remember this? And, and so he's up there, and so I'd watch football, and I knew like that was the Bible. You know, it was the Bible, but, you know, either that or John had a birthday on March 16th or something. And, but, but I didn't have a Bible, didn't own a Bible, so I didn't, you know, I just, I just didn't bother with it. I didn't bother looking it up and what does that mean. But then I finally became a Christian at age 18. And, and for the first time in my life, I realized that this whole time I'm trying to figure God out and who is he and what does he want and, and, and what is he after and what's the key to understanding this guy and what's the meaning to it all. Here's what I realized when I became a Christian. I realized that during that whole time, during this whole process of me trying to find him and figure him out, he was actually pursuing me and he was actually chasing me. And I'll never forget the first time I read John 3.16. Now, some of you are raised in church, and, and you just have known it forever. But the first time I ever read John 3.16, well, I just sort of was connecting to this whole Christianity thing. And so I was watching a football game, and there was crazy rainbow wig guy. 
with, with his sign. And I go, okay, now I have a Bible, and that means chapter and verse. And so I looked it up, and, and here's what I read. I'll never forget reading this. It was while I was watching football, which is a great combination. NFL and the Bible, that's as God intended it to be. So here it is. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. All right, there we go. That's gospel in a nutshell. Okay, great. Okay, so, so are you preaching about John 3.16 or Slumdog Millionaire? I, I'm confused. What does the movie exactly have to do with this? Life. Now, this is what it means to me. Jesus- what? what, what? This is what it means to you? Uh, Pastor, who taught you that that's the right way to read your Bible? Who cares what it means to you? As a pastor, you're supposed to tell us what does the passage mean. It doesn't get modified by what does it mean to you. The words to you, completely irrelevant. In fact, folks, if you are in a Bible study, one of those small groups, and somebody says to you, this Bible passage means to me, uh, stop them right there and say, I'm sorry, that's not a valid way of doing uh, biblical interpretation or exegesis. We're not interested in what it means to you. The question is, what does the passage mean? But let's hear what it means to him anyway, since I can't stop him. This is chasing me. He's pursuing me. This is Good Friday and Easter all rolled up into one. Now, I'm going to take this stuff off. An obligatory mention of uh, Easter, uh, the Christian holiday there. Whew, I was afraid we wouldn't even get that in. So that you might take me seriously. Now, for you, your entire life, maybe you've sensed this thing. You've sensed that God is pursuing you. And, and, and maybe there, there are moments where you just can't quite put your finger on it, but it's there. And, and maybe for you, there's been those moments where you just sort of wanted to give up on Christianity and keep it at an arm's distance. And, and, and maybe there was a time it just didn't seem relevant anymore. Or maybe you just got sick of Christians. I mean, good Lord, here's Sally and she's a hypocrite. And there's Jimmy and he's as mean as anybody. I don't want to spend eternity with him and you know it just it just I'm not buying it so I'm keeping it at a distance or, or maybe you were just in that place where you started your career your business and you're afraid maybe the rules will rain on your parade and you wanted to do your ethic you know John three sixteen. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life you know there's law and gospel right there in that little gospel in a nutshell verse uh what does it mean to perish? I mean, is God going to punish some people? And for what? I mean, don't you think it would be a good idea to talk about what the passage is saying? You're saying it means God's pursuing us, right? Yeah, but if you were to use that metaphor for interpreting the passage, uh, don't you think it would be pursuing us so that we don't have to perish? And by, what, what's, what's this perish stuff all about? I wonder if he'll get to that. Ethics and morality your way, or you have this relationship, and you wanted to pursue that relationship, and you just sort of didn't really want to know God's opinion during that moment in, in, in your life. Or maybe there was a tragedy for you, and, and it was during that time that you say, you know, fine, you say God pursues me, but where was God during that? Or, or, or maybe you're in the place to where you're thinking, you know, you can say what you want about God, but all this God stuff just can't be proved. You know, it, it, the God he's describing, it, this sounds like the God with a man-shaped hole in his heart, doesn't it? 
and, and you've been in those places in your life. And every time you're ready to chunk it, give it up, there it is again. Jamal is chasing Latika and God is chasing you. Now, I'm going to give you one main point here today. And if you can't listen to anything else that I say because you have ADD as bad as I do, listen to this. Uh, that's okay. We'll, you know, we'll just stop the tape and, and, and we'll do one of those things. If you ever read the, uh, the Psalms, Selah, you know, we'll just pause for a second and let it sink in. Here's the idea. God will never give up chasing you down, ever. And what Bible passage exactly is that? And um, how does that square with all the people who die in their sins? Was God chasing them as they were getting ready to jump off the cliff? And he goes, no, don't. No, no, no. I was too late. (sighs) Never. It's not going to happen. So on this Easter, and I keep wanting to say Sunday because when you say sun, when you say Easter, you know, funny enough, if you read the stories of Pharaoh in the book of Exodus, it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Apparently God was done chasing him. Uh, Just a technicality, I'm sure. I'm probably not reading it right. Maybe I should tell you what it means to me. I have no idea what it means to me. Uh, Listen, I want to give you two images of God. Two pictures of God. And this is as simple a message as as I will ever preach, but I want it tattooed into your soul. So I want you to leave here today with two ideas of God, two pictures of God, two images of God. And the first one is that of the Energizer Bunny. All right? No. (laughs) I do not want to think of God as the Energizer Bunny. Um, this is all backwards. Okay. God is going to chase you and he's not going to give up on you. One of the reasons you're here tonight is because he's chasing you. Let me, listen, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll give you the theme of the Bible. I'll give you the cliff notes of the Bible. Some of you may be, can't wait to hear this. All right. Bible in a nutshell. Here we go. Maybe Easter is like your one time you come to church. So I'm going to cram as much in as I can. So I'm giving you cliff notes. Yeah. You think you can give them the real gospel and what it really means. The passage itself that you read is doing a far better job than anything you've done so far here, Pastor. And what was that really simple, flighty, just ever, this was like a, a, what is the point of Slumdog Millionaire being brought up again? You gave us a small movie synopsis and then launched into this. Don't they call that bait and switch? Ha <laughs> ha, you thought you were here to talk about Slumdog Millionaire, but <laughs> you were wrong. I, I fooled you. I tricked you. I am very tricksy. Ha, 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 ha. I'm, I'm going to give you Jesus instead, but I'm only going to give you little tiny pieces of him. <sighs> to this whole thing. And, and it's this. You have an Old Testament. That's like before Jesus. And you have the law and all that stuff. And then you have the New Testament, and that's after Christ. And he's resurrected, and boom, the church takes off. And, and then you have 66 total books that make up like this one book. And, and now you have the Bible. So now you're a historian. Do you know anything about the Bible? <laughs> Dude, uh, seventh grade, uh, basic Bible class. We learned a lot more than that when I was in junior high, dude. Now I'm going to turn you into a theologian because, uh, so now I'm a, I'm a Bible historian because I understand there was an old Testament and a new Testament. There's 66 books of the Bible. 
And I can't wait to hear what knowledge you're going to be imparting to us that gives us, um, that makes us into theologians. Okay, let's hear what you got. I'm going to save you a lot of reading here. And here it is. I'm going to give you the master theme of this entire book. And here's what it is. All right, go ahead. In a nutshell. Right on. The Bible from Genesis 3 to Revelation 22 tells the story of a God reckless with desire to get the love of his life back. It is the story of God pursuing us. Now, now I have... Th- All right, I'm not exactly comfortable with the metaphor, but okay, we'll work with it. So it's about Jesus Christ and his rescue of humanity, right? thought about this and I've thought about it from sort of an outsider's non-church perspective. Why is he pursuing us? What went wrong? What was the bad thing that happened? Because I wasn't raised in it. And it seems to me as I look at this whole wonderful book called the Bible that God has tried every last way that he could to connect with us. And, and it all starts with Adam and Eve. And, and you know what? We want God close and we want him to prove himself. Well, boom, we had it. And he's face to face and he walks with us in the cool of the day. And we have this intimacy, but, but they couldn't handle the innocence. And they kept him sort of at an arm's distance. And, and they... What version of the Garden of Eden story are you reading from, Pastor? Uh, where does it say that Adam and Eve were kind of done with the innocence things and kept God at an arm's distance? Huh? And they needed the tension and the distance, and so he gave it to them. Later, What? <laughs> what? It doesn't say that in the Bible. Later on, people are like, well, what are you all about, God? And what is this holiness stuff? And how do we live our lives? And so he gave this thing called the law. He tried rules, he tried guidelines, he tried regulations, he tried ceremonies. Philippians. Yeah, what a lame God. I mean, okay, so try to restore relationship. Uh, restoration relationship 1.0, uh, law. Oh, that didn't work. Uh, two, uh, 2.0, ceremonies. That didn't work. Three po- <laughs> Come on. What's this God you're describing here? Sounds like a completely powerless dolt. He says the worship instructions in a book like Leviticus remind me of a manual on handling radioactive material. And I would say that I agree with it. Then you have the children of Israel and, and God led them and he actually treated them like children. He, he led them like children. He fed them like children. He did everything but diaper and burp them. And, and, and then he showed them the miraculous. There were no atheists amongst the children of Israel. They saw the miraculous, yet, yet they couldn't handle that. And they complained, and they couldn't handle God on that level. Later on, what does he do? Well, he's- oh, man. They couldn't handle God on that level. So God's going, oh, oh man, I, maybe I showed them too much. Uh, did you, have you even read these stories, Pastor? Do you even have any inkling what they're really about? <sighs> he sends his poets and he sends his psalmist and they come bringing love. So, so the law didn't work, so we're going to send poets instead. So what these guys do, stand up in Starbucks, you know, of songs and it's a beautiful thing and it's so cool and so good. We still read those today, but it wasn't enough. What? (laughs) What? Oh, man. (sighs) 
Somebody please buy him a clue. Then he sent prophets. And yeah. oh Lord, were they a bunch of weirdos. And they show up on the scene and, and, and they warn us of the repercussions of, of, of living a selfish life. Uh, actually, their main theme has to do with idolatry. If you read it, you know, they had abandoned the one true God and were following after false gods. It was idolatry. One, some of the prophets likened that to uh, spiritual prostitution, which is a very good metaphor, by the way. Anyway. Living a life of self-destruction, you can't do that forever w- w- without it hurting you. But that's... What? <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> this is the worst thumbnails. Did you hear? Did you get this from a kindergartner? Come on, you, this is a joke, right? You, uh. Still wasn't enough either, and and so we have this. And I don't know about you, but I don't know what else God can do. He he did what he had to do for God so loved the world. That he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Rainbow wig weirdo was right. And, and, and here's the thing. No, rainbow wig weirdo wasn't right. The passage is right. But tell me what it really means. What's this perish stuff in there mean? Am I in danger? In danger from what? This is not a picture of, of a hands-off God. This is not a guy who spins the universe into being and says, smell you later, see you in a few thousand years, or billion, or whatever. No, no, no. This is a God that is active. This is a God that is pursuing the love of his life. Well, you have an ex- the story you gave is of a completely lame God who, in pursuing the love of his life, just kept getting it wrong. The law, the poets, you know, the prophets, uh, all of these chances, all of these attempts, and he just couldn't get it together. And he finally says, you know what? I have an idea. Let's send my son and they can kill him. <sighs> and, 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 and here's what it looks like. He's willing to go to the cross and, and, and give his life. But it doesn't in there. For what? Give his life for what? To do what? Why did he give his life? It never ends there. It ends with this beautiful story that we tell this Easter weekend called the resurrection. Whoo, I'm glad the resurrection's made an appearance. Woo-hoo-hoo. Uh, I was getting nervous there, Pastor. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 7. After the Sabbath... At dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. And there was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes was as white as snow. Wouldn't that be weird? The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. I would too. The angel said to the woman, and this is the most often repeated command in the entire Bible. It, the, the most often repeated command in the Bible is not eat your vegetables, not, hey, quit being a pervert. Not, I mean, it's not that. Here, here, although maybe you shouldn't, but here, here it is. Don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. For I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. Now, he is not here. That's Greek. For Jesus is out there kicking death's butt. It really means that. You Oh man. <laughs> Wait a second. 
There's a flag on the play. We have to do a little <laughs> Greek work here. Hang on. Um, let's see. Okay. Uh-huh. All right. Hold on. Looking up the passage, uh, let's see. His appearance. Um, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus. Okay, let's see here. The uh, But the angel said to the woman, this is Matthew 28, verse 5, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Okay, so here, um, let's see. Apocrises te ha angelas epin said. Okay, ties. Okay, to the women. To do not fear. Me phobis te humes oida gar. Mm-hmm. All right, here we go. Um, for he is not here. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh, do not be afraid. Uh, it, nothing here about kicking Satan's butt in the Greek at all. Um. Yeah. Um. Uh-huh. Nothing. No, no, it's not there in the Greek at all. It basically, don't be afraid. I know you seek Jesus. I know that you are seeking Jesus. Nothing there about you know, it. Just the seeking part is I know that you're looking for him. Nothing there in the Greek about him. Um, yeah. Uh, zetete. Uh, zetete is the uh, Greek verb there. Um to try to find nothing in there about kicking butt so n- not sure where this guy learned greek from but i'm beginning to doubt he knows it we continue you need to understand the greek more he's out there getting it done he's i'm kidding about the greek but the other part i'm not he's out there making it happen he has risen just as he said come and see the place where he lay then then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead is going ahead of you to galilee there you will see him now i have told you now this is a picture of a god doing whatever it takes to connect with the love of his life. This is the Energizer Bunny that isn't going to give up. And that's one picture, one more picture that I want to show you, and it's this. Jesus is a lover. He loves us. Now, when I think of God, I tend to think of the conquering king, but no, 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 no. He's that, but he's a lover. And, and, and the Jesus of the Gospels, he is so raw. And think about this. And he is so real with emotion and passion that people couldn't make that up. If you were making God up, you would not come up with the story of Jesus. In fact, I think that the, that the Jesus of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and this is sad, I think he's the best kept secret of Christianity. And, and why we don't turn him loose to represent us more, I have no idea because he's the best thing we have. Yeah, okay, good point there, Pastor. And immediately I would just ask this simple logical question. Um, why, aren't you, why did you then advertise that your sermon was about Slumdog Millionaire rather than about Jesus Christ on this Easter weekend? I'm a little confused if he's the best kept secret that Christianity has. Why didn't you send out a bazillion postcards to everybody in your neighborhood to let them know that you'd be preaching about Jesus? 
Instead, you sent out a, a thing saying that you're going to preach about Slumdog Millionaire, and in a very awful bait and switch. I mean, I if I was a non-believer and I showed up at your church because I thought you were going to be preaching about Slumdog Millionaire, I'd basically be pretty cheesed off at you. And why we're not more like him sometimes and churches don't represent him in the way of what he really was. I, I, have, I have no idea. Here's what I do know. We have tamed him down. And we've turned him into a partisan uptight weirdo. I, I can say that. But, but, but I'll tell you this. I'm just a personal story. You know why I'm a Christian? No clue. I, please tell us. Because, you know, uh, Easter sermons should be about you. I became a Christian because I started reading Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. And, and well, Good. Why don't you read those to us? Maybe some of the people who aren't Christians in your church might find out something about Jesus and that's like substantive and they might want to become a Christian. And I discovered the most captivating person that, that I've ever discovered in my lifetime. I discovered Jesus. And, and here's what I thought. I thought, if this is God, I'd buy it. I buy this if this is God. Because I'll tell you this, and I never wanted to admit this out loud because I thought I'd get hit by lightning. And I didn't even like to like think it because I'd feel guilty and try to get it out of my mind. But before I became a Christian, and maybe this came because of his followers, I don't know why, but here was my impression. I thought God was sort of a big rear end, sort of. And he was looking for a technicality to boop us out of paradise so he could torture us for a few trillion years or so. Uh, okay, okay um, but you do understand that Adam and Eve disobeyed God and sinned and were kicked out of the garden, and that those who go into eternity not trusting in Christ, they're not saved and they go to everlasting punishment. That's what the Bible teaches, and here you've just taken those two very real truths and kind of just... Toss them out the window. And in my mind, that's like, ooh, that's Jeffrey Dahmer's. That's not God. I mean, what? A, and, and, and then I looked at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and I discovered this lover. That... And boy, I don't like talking about Jesus like that. The bearded woman. No way. I'm not French kissing Jesus. Forget it. It's not happening. This, this God that will pursue us. And, and Jesus, here's what I discovered in Jesus. He reveals a God that comes in search of us. And, and it was so interesting. As you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke. Okay, true, true. But show us from the passage. Let God's word do its work. Unleash God's word here. Huh. John, Jesus would tell these stories about God's love that expresses a quality of almost desperation. And desperation. <sighs> Desperate lover, Jesus. And, and one time in Luke chapter 15, he's sitting around and he's telling like these stories to these people that are kind of rejected by God followers. And they're on the outside looking in and, and, and they don't quite fit in. And he tells them these stories that, that tries to reveal, he tries to reveal to them God's heart and, 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 and what God thinks about them. And how God feels about them and what God is trying to do. What? <laughs> 
This story is not really about a coin, is it? It's about this. The same way I tell you there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Okay, great. Okay, good, good, good. We've got a little gospel going on here. You can spin from this. You can work it out. Now, here's the deal. There's rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repents. Pastor, what's sin? What's the real danger? What's that perishing thing? In John 3.16. Help us out here. Jesus has this same crowd around him. He goes on to tell this story about the shepherd who hunts in the darkness until he finds that one sheep, that one out of a hundred that, that had wandered astray. And, and here's what he says. And he's, he's, think about the crowd he's talking to. He says, and, and he goes home and then he calls his friends and his neighbors together. And he says, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Okay, what's sin? What's repentance? You haven't even told us that. You've, can you, a little bit of law here would help you out. Now, God didn't come to this planet to sit around and be talking about coins and sheep, right? I mean, that's not the point. Well, what's the point? He's got a room full of people that have fallen through the cracks of religion. He's got a... What? That have fallen through the cracks of religion? How about a room full of sinners who have rebelled against God? Who have broken his commandments and stand guilty and could potentially face his judgment? Hey. He's got a room full of disillusioned people that have given up on it. He's got a room. He's, he's criticized as he's teaching these stories to these people. He's got a room full of people that have been rejected and think they have no chance of this thing. And he ends these stories with telling them about this son who had a really cool dad. And his dad was fair and his dad was just and his dad was gracious. But the son took his inheritance early as a young adult. And he ran off and he lived his life in sin and rebellion, but then he finally came to his senses. In, in Luke chapter 15, verse 20, it says, so he got up and he went to his father. Now, keep in mind, he is miles and miles and miles away from home. So when he got up and went to his father, he comes to his senses and decides, I'm going to start the long journey home. Now, now here's what you, you want to understand the heart of God and think about who Jesus is talking to. Uh, here it is. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. See, see here, here's the picture. His dad is not sitting on a porch waiting for him to come back home. He's like stalking this guy. He's behind bushes and hiding behind rainbow wig guy. And he's like, oh, and he's waiting for his son just to come to his senses. And, and when he does, his father saw him and he was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. It is the picture of a God pursuing the love of his life and and here's how it ends that that uh, um, it's the picture of a sinner repenting of his sins 
because that's what the passage says and of the rejoicing that goes along with that and the forgiveness the father offers that that's one cool thing but here's the other cool thing verse 32 it ends with celebration but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and he is alive again he was lost now he's found so in a nutshell the bible from the book of genesis 3 to revelation chapter 22 tells a story of a God reckless with desire to get the love of his life back. Now, that might be you today, and, and you may be feeling that. And you chased a relationship, you chased a career, you chased your own ideology, you chased your doubt, you t- chased your intelligence, you chased, you chased, you chased, and you're never going to out-chase God. And in the, in, the, in the very end of the book... So God is like Pepe Le Pew... Right, you're chasing after some other thing, and here's this obnoxious, stinky God chasing after you. Come on, repentance and the forgiveness of sins is completely missing here, Pastor. Um, and again, I feel bad for the non-Christian who showed up here expecting to hear a sermon about Slumdog Millionaire. Boy, you pulled a fat, you pulled a fast one on them there. Revelation chapter twenty-two, last chapter. There is this scene of celebration where God is reunited with the love of his life. Us. You. When I was watching this movie, Slumdog Millionaire, uh, it's before it hit the theaters. And so I was at the Moxie. And everybody's real close, kind of like you poor people on the front row today having to take in the spitballs. I mean, everybody's really close. So I'm watching this movie, Slumdog Millionaire, and it's really, really good. But, but right when the movie ended and the credits started to roll, I just popped up to get out of there. Because we had this guy sitting next to us eating his popcorn. He sounded like a horse eating an apple. And I'm like, see ya! So, so when the credits start rolling, I'm like, bye. But, but I almost missed the, the, the best scene of that movie. Uh, because right after the credits start rolling, this scene comes on, and I sit back down, and it's this dance of celebration, because Jamal and Latika are finally reunited. And I sit... Oh, man, you just ruined the movie for me. I sit there, and I I knew that when we did this series, we were going to start with Slumdog Millionaire, and I'll tell you why. It reminds me of a God that pursues us. It, it, I mean, I mean, it reminds me. I mean, think about it. Good Friday, the the the, the crucifixion, the the Easter resurrection, the ups, the the downs of life. But but one day, this whole thing ends with us being reunited with Him, and it ends with this eternal dance. And Jesus will do anything in His power to get you involved in that eternal dance, even if it means this. John three sixteen for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Well, there you have it. Uh, Condestant number one in our worst uh, Easter sermon for 2009 from North Point Church. Uh, there in, uh, I think it's Springfield, Missouri. Is that where they're from? Um, anyway, yeah, Springfield, Missouri. 
So, I mean, there you go. He's this desperate lover who messed it up, I mean, in the Old Testament and finally gets it right by dying on the cross for your sins. Never gets around to telling us about the perishing part. I mean, who's in charge here, by the way? <laughs> uh, the way he's here, you know, here, you just got to realize that don't you understand that you're the love of God's life? And he's going to do whatever it takes to chase after you and pursue you like Pepe Le Pew or the Energizer Bunny. And uh, he does. He, on one level, it's right. And on so many levels, it's wrong. No explanation of sin, what repentance is, what we need to repent from. What did Jesus mean when he said perish? None of that. This is man-centered, and, uh, and, and not only that, and we, the, the God that's described here is this powerless, wimpy God who, who's just this sad lover who's just chasing after you. And, and as far as the slumdog millionaire thing there, that was total bait and switch. It wasn't, I mean, that wasn't even an educated, even beneficial discussion of the movie itself. So there you have it. That's our first contestant. Tomorrow we'll have another, and uh, at the end of the week we'll put up a, uh, a thing at Fighting for the Faith so that you can vote for the worst. And uh, there you have it. Folks, we've got this amazing news as Christians to proclaim. And this is it's amazing news in this, that man rebelled against God. God created us. We rebelled against God. We, we turned our back on God. We disobeyed him. We didn't listen to him. We went in league with this, with Satan himself. And God could have said to hell with you all to hell with you. And you know what? If God had said that, none of us could have pointed a bony finger at him and said, that's not fair. That's not right. You're supposed to be a just God and you're not being just. No, if God were being just, we'd all be toast, eternally toasted. Instead, God does this outrageous thing. He comes to earth as a man and he dies for our sins. God so loved the world so much that he loved us even even when we were powerless, Christ died for us. And to prove who he was and show his victory over sin, death, and the devil, what does Jesus do? Three days after he's crucified under Pontius Pilate, he raises from the grave for our justification. Amazing stuff. We have this incredible good news, and God is offering us, the King of kings, the one who made the universe and everything in it, that God, who that powerful and mighty and just God, rather than giving us what we deserve, is offering us full and complete pardon in Jesus Christ for all of our wickedness, our rebellion, our sin, our lying, cheating, thieving, stealing, you name it. Our lusts, our adulteries, our fornications, all of our perversion, all of the vomitous muck of our sin. The muck that we muck around in and know that we've completely destroyed our lives. 
and that we deserve nothing but God's wrath as a result of it. He says, I'm offering you a full and complete pardon because of what Christ did on the cross. He died for your sins and propitiated God's wrath. Repent, therefore, of your wickedness and believe this good news. For in this good news, you are offered the forgiveness of sins. It's a simple message. It's a simple message. And what better day to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins than on Easter Sunday, the day when Christ rose victorious from the grave? Well, there you go. That was kind of a half-hearted, really, really schlocky attempt at preaching a ser- an Easter sermon based on Slumdog Millionaire. And as a result of the stupid marketing gimmick, he completely biffed it on all kinds of levels. Anyway, first contestant there. All right, we're at the end of our program, and I want to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio, which means that we depend upon you in order to pay our bills, in order to continue to bring this important radio outreach to you. If you would like to uh, partner with us, you can by going to fightingforthefaith.com, clicking on the Donate button. Or, if you would like to do it the traditional way, you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Now, tomorrow we have another contestant that we'll bring up. That was just the one, and we'll hopefully bring this to a crescendo. It'll be kind of interesting. So I want to remind you, you can email me at talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can look me up on Facebook or follow me on Twitter. name on Twitter is Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, God bless you.